0: I'm going to continue my series on, Hey God, Do You Have a Minute? This morning I'm going to be sharing on His kingdom, His power, and His glory. Uh, My opening text is Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 6, and uh, I've asked you to find that. It'd be good if I found it myself, and we're going to begin reading in the ninth verse. Jesus teaching on prayer in this manner, Therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I know the final portion of Jesus' teaching on prayer reminds and protects us from the temptation of having a self-centered approach to our lives and to our relationship with our Creator. It reestablishes us in the truth that his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But one of the things that it does not do, while it does remind us and it does protect us from that temptation of living a a self-centered life, it does not prevent us from living a self-centered life. You know, it's it's one thing to re- receive instruction, in, and this is the setting that Jesus is teaching because the disciples ask him the question, would you teach us how to pray? And And upon that request, Jesus begins, you know, to share, this is how you begin to commune and fellowship with God. But he brought God into a personal relationship. This is how you begin to pray unto your heavenly father. And it always starts with a sense of understanding our audience, that we show respect and honor unto the Lord first and foremost, that before we ask for anything, before we present our petitions, that first of all, we recognize the one in whom uh, we're having an audience with. And we acknowledge his holiness, his greatness, his justness. How many of you are thankful for his patience and kindness and mercy? And so, you know, the, the, the list is long, but it's important that it not become redundant. It, it, it's not just, you're just expressing words, but it's really an expression of something that is real to you. And when the Lord is real to you, then to express gratitude or reverence unto him is, is just the result of how real he is. And so Jesus, you know, obviously got the disciples' attention. He gets all of our attention. I mean, there's no one as beautiful and wonderful and majestic like Jesus. And so uh, he is a magnet for humanity. And when he's properly introduced and when people hang around him long enough, they begin to open up their heart to the possibility that he could teach them how to really live, how to pray, how to forgive, how to walk in love. And, and in this particular setting, it's how to pray. And, uh, the disciples knew that, that perhaps their prayers weren't as effective as Jesus' prayers. And so they're asking the Master and he's responding. And, but it doesn't mean that just because you know something, you're going to experience the benefits of it. It's the doers that are blessed, not just the hearers only. And so while this reminds us of some very important truths, it's the application of our life that protects us from temptation and the road it wants to take us on and temptation comes to all of us we've talked about that in this series uh, we've talked about God's graciousness and his goodness that he not only forgives us of all of our sins uh, he also provides for our daily needs and that you know there's something that he's actively involved in doing every day whether we're aware of it or not That he's actually a good shepherd so he leads us Around temptation, he also delivers us from the evil one. So there's times he he navigates our steps around trouble, and there's times because he's a deliverer, he comes and he takes us out of trouble. But who does he do that to, and who does he do that for? He he does though he does those things to those that are praying, to those that are seeking, to those that are asking, to those that are knocking, and they're doing it with an expectation that they have the ear of their heavenly Father. So it's not just something that they're doing as if it's going through the motions, but it's a significant part of who they are and how they live their life. So when we follow the instruction of Jesus on how to commune and fellowship with our Heavenly Father in prayer, his priorities become our priorities. And that's what I want to focus on this morning as we look once again at the 13th verse, and it reads this way in Matthew's Gospel chapter 6, and do not lead us into temptations, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. His is the kingdom. He's already instructed us before you get too far into your fellowshipping and communing with the Father. Remember, His kingdom come, His will be done. Keep in mind that it's His kingdom, Come, his will be done, because what has impacted and infected all of us is sin and sin causes us to be selfish or self-centered. So Jesus is saying, you know, to overcome the flesh and the effects of sin and the residue that it's had in your life, he directs us, first of all, saying it's his kingdom. And this protects us from living once again a self-centered life. His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I find it to be interesting that both biblical and world history teach us about the futility of man striving to establish a kingdom, a way of rule or governance which is apart from God. In James, uh, Pastor James tells a story about, uh, about, uh, the futility of boasting or being proud. And he says, in chapter four and verse 13, come now, you who say today and tomorrow we will do such and such uh, and uh, we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Now, uh, the key phrase is we will. It's not God's will. It's this is what we will to do. This is our plan. And whereas verse 14 says you do not know. What will happen tomorrow for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say it would be better if you said, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, because of this, to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, that becomes sin or it is sin. So when Jesus is concluding his instruction on prayer, he's saying, now you've started off this conversation and this time of fellowship with God by showing reverence unto him. Now make sure that it's his will above your will, his kingdom above your kingdom, that it's his agenda above your agenda, that don't don't mix them together. Don't don't say, God, this is what I'm going to do. Would you bless it? God, this is where I'm going to go, and this is what my plans are, and would you cause them to come to pass? It's so easy to cross or to bump those lines if we're not careful, but Jesus in his instruction is protecting us from selfishness, from the carnal impulses that we believe we know what's better than God. We believe that we're capable of leading our life apart from him, of establishing our own wealth, our own ways, our own path, apart from our Creator. And Jesus is reminding us that that, that is not going to produce good. It actually ends up producing evil or harm into your life. It opens up too many doors for the devil, who's an opportunist, to come in and begin to mess with our world. And Jesus wants to protect us from the evil one. He wants to lead us around temptation and when we posture ourselves before the lord and we begin to commune with our heavenly father we allow ourselves to experience his ministry as a good shepherd that way so it's important it's so important jesus is the king and all selfish ambitions and endeavors of man to rule or reign above god have failed historically and will always fail For the kingdoms of this world, Scripture tells us, will become the kingdoms of our God. Both biblical and world history teach us about the futility of man striving to establish his own way. I think a couple of examples before I finish this point of my message this morning. The Tower of Babel. Men got together and discovered that they could build an uh, uh, an edifice that would reach up into the heavens, but little did they know that they did it apart from the instruction, the guidance or the purposes of God and God came down and confound the languages of the world because here's what God knows. If man puts his will to do something, the possibility of it coming to pass is real, but the results aren't what they're looking for. There's a lot of people that have willed to do things in this world and they have accomplished their will. But at the end of it, they've lost their own soul. They've lost their own way there. There is the capacity within us as people to fight for our own rights, to strive for our own will, to try to establish our own ways apart from God and have what the world may deem as success. But we're still bankrupt spiritually. And Jesus Instructing us as that's not the life that I want you to have. And since you ask me, I'm going to teach you how to pray. How to protect yourself from yourself. Isn't that important? I mean, we have the capacity to convince ourselves that God, if you would just partner with me, what a partnership this would be. We could do this together. And He reminds us, You can do nothing apart from me. Have you ever been there? Can I get a witness in the house of God today? Amen. Amen. And so let's not muddy the water or bump the lines. Let's really sort of open up our heart and understand that it's his is the kingdom. His is the kingdom. Another example outside of the Tower of Babel is uh, there have been kings that have been uh, in rule and reign and Biblical history tells us about it as well as world history. And we're going to read about one of those here in a minute. But I think about one of the kings in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, because he had a degree of success, sort of lost his faith. He lost his footing and his foundation. And he began to believe that it was because of him that he was experiencing success or victories. And because of where he allowed his mind to go and how he allowed boasting and pride to enter into his life, he lost his mind for a season. He actually became a delusional, a madman. And then when he returned and remembered that it wasn't his kingdom but God's kingdom, that his mind was restored to him. And these are written down for... Us as examples so that we would not only learn from those that made mistakes. We would also learn from those that followed the instruction correctly. And we would be encouraged that we would experience the same results as those who followed the instruction correctly. So his is the kingdom. For those that are born again, I want to remind you that we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, that you're no longer a slave to sin or you're no longer in bondage. That's why this part of the platform, their expression is bongo, it's freedom. Now, not to say that this expression on this side of the platform is not freedom because to lift your hands, there's many expressions of freedom. Some people would kneel, some people would weep, some people would laugh, but it's all an expression of the grace of God that has come unto them. Amen. But it's, an, it, don't you think it's important that we express yes. and have expression and show that expression towards our Savior? I believe it's very honoring to Him. So those that have been born again, number two, we are now instructed by Jesus to seek first the Kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all or everything that we would ever need would be added unto us. And in that instruction here, Earlier in Matthew's gospel or later in in, uh, Matthew chapter six, Jesus reminds us that, you know, the world is seeking the worldly things, but you don't have to be like the world. He he uses the term Gentiles, which is all the nations that didn't have a covenant with God. He said, you're a covenant people. If you just seek God, then everything that the world is trying to seek, uh, he'll automatically add it to you. And, and he was talking about the things that make for a quality of life. I mean, the food that you eat and the clothes that you put on on your back and uh, and the house that you dwell in. I mean, the Lord is able to provide for all of those needs when we put his kingdom first and we put his will first and we we minimize the boasting and we... Uh, 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 pretty soon eliminate it. But you have to start with probably, you know, the the process of getting or removing something. Um, A quick caveat there before I move on is that God is always going to be at work in us uh, until the day of Christ. It's important that we stay in step with the work that he's doing in this season in our life. Uh, So when I say that, you know, we have to begin the process of eliminating all boasting to the place that it's thoroughly eliminated from our life. It means that that may be a struggle for some people. A pride may be an issue. And and I think for all of us, it, it can show up in different ways. But begin to identify where it shows up and begin to close off or hem out the ways that it cannot get to you. And eventually you'll have it painted in a corner and it won't have a grip on you. Don't give it room to grow. Begin, you know, to not give expression to it. And be careful. Make sure that his is the kingdom. And the more that you commune with God in this way and you finish your time in communing with him and, and reminding yourself as well as, you know, uh, obeying Jesus, No, in the midst of all that I've asked, in the midst of, of all that you do for me, may I always have in mind yours is the kingdom and protect me from intermingling my will with your will. Yours is the kingdom. His is the power and authority. Power and authority come from God and were originally given unto man for the purpose of serving the needs of his people. The intent of power and authority originally from God was good, but because sin and its impact on mankind's soul have entered into the human story things have become perverted and god's original intent of power while good and noble has brought much suffering and harm in the hands of sinful men and in today's world people struggle with trust and people that are in positions of authority or people that or in positions of power that have abused or misused that power, have caused a lot of harm and suffering. Instead of using that power for good, they've used it for their own purposes. And as a result of that, instead of providing for the needs of those that they've been given authority over, many times they have abused that position and that power For their own selfish ways. But that wasn't God's original intent. And that's why we're reminded when we pray. Yours is the kingdom and yours is the power. Now this reminds me of. A time when Jesus was being tried in John's gospel. Chapter 19. It tells us of this account that he's having. And I want to. Uh invite you to find this with me. And we're going to see how Jesus interacted and responded with Pilate on the night that he was being crucified. We're going to pick up in the 10th verse of John's Gospel, chapter 19. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? So Pilate is frustrated with Jesus because I think Pilate is sharp enough that he understands this is this has been a setup and I've been pulled into this. Uh, and he's he's wanting Jesus to respond to the questions that he's asking him, and Jesus is just standing for him and as one who is silent. And then Pilate just says, Don't you understand who you're standing in front of? Don't you understand who has power? Don't you know that I have the ability to free you? Or in my word, you could die this very moment. And Jesus answered in verse 11. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Let that soak in for a minute. Because many times, and I believe this is right. Now, follow my train of thought here. While Pilate is saying, you don't know whose presence you're in, Jesus could have said, you don't know whose presence you're in, but he didn't. He could have, but he didn't. Because Jesus had an understanding of power and authority. Much greater than maybe what we have. At a much deeper level than maybe what we comprehend. And Jesus did not exercise his rights at this moment. He submitted to that authority, but he brought perspective to this person, to Pilate. And what he said is, you would have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above or because of this. Or therefore, the one who delivered me to you, he's the one who's committed the greater sin. Pilate, when he heard that, knew that boy, i got to get this guy out of this situation. But because of the prophecies and because Jesus knowing that this was the path that the Father had, had ordained for him to take for our freedom, he allowed the power of Pilate and the authority of Pilate to be exercised. But it was God who gave Pilate that authority and that power. Pilate... Would have no power unless God permitted him to have that power. Permitted him to have that authority. But his. Who is his? God. His is the power. Where he delegated it was where he delegated it. How man uses it. Unfortunately isn't always right. Parents you understand the scenario. Your intent in giving your children more liberty or more freedom is so that they, they can experience more independence. But many times when that power or that authority or those liberties are extended, it reveals their maturity level. And thus it is. When God has given jurisdiction or power or authority unto man, it's supposed to be under the guidelines that we depend on his power and his wisdom and his authority to use the power that he's given unto us. But, once again, not to be redundant, but it's good to hear, not all men have faith, not all men know Christ, not all men know where their powers come from. Thus, Jesus said to Pilate, you may be unaware of this, but you wouldn't have any of this if it wasn't for... If it wasn't given to you. So when Jesus is teaching us to pray. It's his kingdom. First things first. And then his power. His authority. Only our heavenly father has the power to bring his kingdom. And its fullness to the earth. When Jesus returns. He will make all things new. And bring justice. Upon all who have not trusted in him. And his resurrection. When Jesus was resurrected, he said, All power and authority has been given unto me now in heaven and earth. He says, Therefore go. Because Jesus understood authority and stayed under authority and power, he is the one now who has released us with power and authority to re- represent him. But his is the power. We would have no power or authority over darkness, over sin over deception if it wasn't for Jesus. We would still be blind and lost in our sin. His is the power. Power has a has a way of sort of messing with our mind. You know, there's a lot of people that have been tremendous uh, servants. They've been like great workers and co-workers. They've been, you know, uh, very beneficial to humanity until someone gave them a title and and something sometimes about having a title creates an entitlement mentality it 's amazing that that someone understands the, the significance or the importance of you know support and serving and and being part of a team but you know the you sometimes wonder, did you do all of those things just to get a title? Because if you did, I mean, you're one terrific actor or actress and, and you played the part really well and, and you got the power and you went from Jekyll to Hyde. I Who are you now? I mean, you used to be among us. I, I, I had a, an experience years ago and, and, uh, with a coworker and we were on the same level in this, in this business. And, uh, He got promoted, and listen, he forgot where he came from. And now, like he's talking to us, like we're less than. And we're like, dude, did you forget where you came from? Then I have a friend uh, that, and this is a ministry setting, and the other one was also, uh, and he worked side by side with us And we were called uh, those that wore the blues. It was a a uniform that everyone who worked on the grounds or worked in the warehouse at uh, the Bible school that I was working at wore. It was our, it was our, uh, it was our, what would I say, our uniform. And uh, I saw I had five pair of blue pants and five pair of blue shirts with my name on. It looked like I was going bowling every day. So, you know, And so I'm Doug and this is where I work. And uh and we all wore the rhema blues. And uh and we worked in the warehouse. And so we all looked alike and, and you know, we sort of knew where we were in in line with the executive office. They they wore shirts and ties and suits and we wore Rhema blues. And when we we no one in one sense, had an attitude of superiority. We didn't believe over another one. We all prayed together. We ate together. We, we intermingled. We were a ministry and we were a team. And so we did have someone that thought they were better, but also had a friend who worked side by side with us. And he was like one of the Rainbow Blues. And one day, one day, the the executive office came and promoted him to the pastoral staff. It's like the story of Joseph. He went, i.e., this wasn't this bad, but you get the analogy. He went from the pit to the palace. Right? He went from the warehouse to the executive office. But I remember the first time he got to preach on a Sunday night, and we, to commemorate him speaking, all wore our of blues to church. <laughs> we were, we're but we all sat in a section and he got up on the platform. And, of course, he was dressed to the nines. Boy, did he look good. And Billy Joe looked over at us and he said to my brothers in blue. I remember where I came from. Never forget it's his power and it's his glory. Never forget you wouldn't have what you have if it wasn't for him giving it to you. And he gave it to us for good. Never use it for selfish reasons. If God has promoted you and given you a position of oversight, Use it for good, not for harm. That helps people to trust authority. And that really needs to be reestablished in our country. Can I get a holy amen? amen? Amen. So his is the power and the authority. His is the glory also. Scripture says there's two types of glory. There's the glory of man and there's the glory of God. The glory of man is likened to a flower in a field. Or to a vapor or a puff of smoke. It's temporal. But the glory of God is eternal. We are told many times in scripture. That no flesh will glory in the presence of God. But that he should receive the glory. For the things that he has done. We should not believe. Or entertain the thought. That man's glory is synonymous with God's glory. When we do we err exceedingly. We err exceedingly. Acts chapter 12, let me show you an example of this, of a man who thought that uh, he was all that in a Snickers. Are you guys ready? Acts chapter 12, and we're going to read verse 20 through 24. Now, Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting the voice of God and not of man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. And the word of God grew and multiplied. Uh, the, The scene is really an interesting one because I think it's it's part of the human story, isn't it? That one people group was dependent on another people group for food or for daily, you know, survival. And because of that, they were willing to compromise and do anything that they could to try to appease the one that was ruling over them. But all they created in this relationship was a bunch of anger and frustration. So Herod, who is the one who is in in charge of providing for these people, is really ticked off. And you know you don't make good decisions when you're really angry, don't you? So in that moment of anger... You know, these people that he is overseeing who if the, if they don't get food from him, then they perish. They begin to negotiate and worm their way to have an audience with him by, you know, making a friend who's a friend of Herod. And because of that, they found an audience with him. And he's probably even a little ticked off about that because now he has another meeting he has to attend. And so while he's. You know, standing before these people who are gravelling at his feet. And, and they're, they're just, oh, you're the greatest. Oh, there's no one. Oh, no one can speak like you. Oh, they're so wonderful. Oh, you're the greatest leader ever. And instead of him saying, oh, be quiet. I'm nothing. Right? To God be the glory. He began to think, I've got these folks right where I want them. I mean, I, I, I've got them right here. I can choke them out or I can let them go. And he believed actually that, you know, he deserved that accolade. He deserved the glory and the recognition. And, and an angel behind the scenes came and struck him and he fell dead. Now, medical science may say, wow, he had an aneurysm. He had a violent heart attack. Or maybe they just said, well, we don't even understand. I mean, he was upright and talking one minute, and the next minute, you know, he's laying flat and no pulse. I'm not quite sure what the medical examiner determined was the cause of death, but I'll tell you what it was. He didn't give glory to God. And because of that, an angel came and said, well, that's the end of you. That, that's New Testament. It's happened historically so many times that if you're a student of history, that one day someone seems to be alright and up, upright and okay, the next minute because they're not giving glory where glory belongs, then their life has ended quickly or suddenly or tragically. Have you ever read those stories or heard about those accounts? I'm, and sometimes they say it's just a mystery. We can't understand. I mean, it seemed like he was in the prime of his life in the, and that person forgot there's two types of glory. There's man's glory that's temporal. and There's God's glory that's eternal. Don't mix the two. Uh, there's people that I'm going to mention a few names from days gone old and I'm going to close. Are you guys ready for a couple of illustrations? For those of you who really enjoy music. Let's just go back to England's most famous band, the Beatles. And when they were. In their heyday, I mean they were selling out arenas and, and it was phenomenal the momentum that they gained and and how and how quickly it mushroomed and blossomed and the music that they produced and how successful successful it was. But you know that they 're not on any main stages today. I know some have perished, and I know some have passed away, but you know their glory was temporal uh, there, there's people that we all admire and respect educationally that are, I mean, have made the world a better place. But they just had a season where they were contributors. But, you know, we don't talk about the Beatles that much unless you just listen to oldie stations all day and sort of drive around in a 50s car. I mean, that's OK. And it's all right to like the music from your era. Most generations do. And so that's. There's nothing wrong with that. But they're not in the news every night. They're not selling out arenas. No one is, you know, standing in line for a ticket for them. And same with people that are good communicators or good educators, uh, people that were magnificent in, in the scientific endeavors in life. I mean, you know, from days of old, you know, no one's lining up because their glory has faded. It's It's almost like an athlete that there was a prime in their career and then there was, you know, the fading of their prime. And in their prime, everyone heard their name, if you were a sport uh, advocate, almost every single day. A good example of that is like Michael Jordan. But Michael Jordan isn't talked about on ESPN unless it's from the standpoint of he's doing something with celebrity golf or he's buying another Franchise. But they're talking about this new generation. And that, and that should remind us as people, you know, that man's glory and God's glory are not the same. So where are, am I going with this to sort of tie it all together? I promise you every single day on every continent and every nation around the world, people are talking about Jesus. I mean, they're not talking about the Beatles or They're not talking about Michael Jordan or their favor you know, their favorite teacher from the but every day people are talking about Jesus. Why? Because his is the glory. His is a glory that will never fade like a flower, it's not a vapor, it's eternal. So shouldn't he be on our lips also? As we finish out this series and we're reminded of Jesus' instruction, right? We begin by honoring and hallowing his name, and we end by saying, You know, at the end of the day, God It's really all about you, isn't it? It's not about me. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about the authority or the power you've given unto me. And it's surely not about me, is it? That I would be glorified? No, may you be glorified in all I say and do. And as you stand, I want to read several verses of Scripture to you just to remind you of how important it is that we don't take the glory that belongs to the Lord. Scripture says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That, that really sums it up, doesn't it? So next time you sit down to eat or drink or, or whatever you do, right? Is it glorifying unto the Lord? If it doesn't pass that test, make sure that you make the adjustment so that it does. Another verse says, whatever you do, that means I would think that would be everything. In word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That really sums it up, doesn't it? I love what the book of Romans says. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Corinthians reminds us you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And I'll close By reading words from Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, whoever speaks, let him speak as one who has been given words from God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the grace or the strength that God alone supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. So when we asked Jesus, would you teach me how to pray? He said, yeah, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And in the process, you're going to learn it's all about the father. And when you learn about it's the father, you're going to be okay because you're in the father's hands. And no one can take you from his hand. So you never have to worry about where you're going to go or what you're going to do. You don't have to figure that out. He'll guide you. You don't have to worry about your daily bread. You have a father. You don't have to worry about forgiveness. Your father forgives you. You learn about the father when you pray. Isn't it time that we had a talk with dad? Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.